Years ago, years ago, I had a friend who was a United, uh, she grew up United Methodist. But when I knew her, she was a, a grown up, and it was when I was in seminary. But she was not a practicing Methodist. She didn't go to church at all. Uh, in fact, when the subject of God and church came up, she was pretty hostile most of the time. And, you know, uh, would make comments about God and mostly organized religion and how it was awful and we should cleanse the planet of it. And she grew up Methodist. But as I got to know her over time, I figured out mom and dad, they went to like one of the famous Methodist churches on the East Coast, like Asbury United. I mean, it, was, it had one of those like Methodist names and it had a long history. And her dad, who was kind of like a semi-famous person, big in business, was always on the governing board. And I guess mom and dad were maybe hypocritical about a few things, which burned her a little bit. And so she, so that was part of the whole God dynamic for her. But whenever the topic of like heaven or the afterlife or, you know, God forever thing would come up, she w- would verbalize some v- version of, well, I, I'm, I don't worry about that. I'm in. Huh? Yeah, I was baptized as an infant. I'm in. And as a Baptist, former Baptist, hearing that, I was just like, what? You think the little baptism thing, is, that's what's going to get you in with God? And, you know, I could never quite verbalize it that way because I was afraid of her. <laughs> um, and so, but, but she pointed to that thing. And I've encountered all kinds of people over the years that have been confused about baptism and what it is and what it isn't and what it does and doesn't do. Uh, and, and if you grew up Lutheran or Catholic or some versions of United Methodist, they baptize. I mean, you come right out of the chute and it's like, you know, I, I know you're not done breastfeeding yet. I know you've only been home from the hospital a week, but could we baptize her, please? You know, there's time allotted this Sunday and it's, you know, they got to get on it. And, and, and Lutherans are some of that. Some of us who grew up in like Baptist or Pentecostal uh, backgrounds, uh, baptism was kind of like a coming of age thing. You know, you went to camp and then you threw your stick in the fire and they had a baptism at the lake at the end of the camp and you came home and mom and dad I was baptized or, you know, around 13, you just kind of did it because you didn't want to be the one teenager in youth group who had never been baptized because then everybody's like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you baptized kind of a thing? And so baptism, because it's been so common in our culture, I think has created a lot of confusion. And so today I'm going to share a couple of cool things I learned from another former Baptist, Andy Stanley. So if today's helpful, thank him. If it's not, you can ask to have a cup of coffee with me and and I'll try and explain some more. But I want to blow away the confusion because baptism means so many different things to so many different people. And so what does the Bible have to say and what does it do and not do and what does it really mean? And I want to wade into that today uh, regarding baptism, because if you read the Bible, if you read what's in here, baptism is important. It's almost like a central thing of Christianity. It comes up a lot, especially in Acts. And so uh, every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ that's in, in the book of Acts, they all get baptized. In fact, Jesus himself, at the end of Matthew, makes it a command. He says this in Matthew chapter 28. I've got to flip a little faster. Matthew chapter 28, he says this. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So I'm commanded to baptize. You're commanded to baptize. We're commanded as followers of Jesus to baptize. It's a command in there. All right? Well, here's, here's where I want to take you for a moment. For half of you in the room, this is going to be really, really extra hard. And, and, and this is the part I'm stealing from Annie Stanley, and here it is. Imagine for a moment, you're a man. Again, I know half of you in the room, you're like, I'm married to a man. That's hard enough. Don't, I don't even want to try and put on the male brain. For God today, could you try? Just, just this one time. Be a man. Okay, so there it is. Okay, so imagine you're a man living in the first century and your dad is a Roman, your mom is a Greek, you grew up somewhere on the Italian peninsula, but because of the Roman uh, military spending and whatnot, you kind of lost the family farm, so you moved to Jerusalem to get a fresh start. And your, your mom and dad, they open a business in Jerusalem. And here you are, a young man, living in Jerusalem in the first century. Well, you're educated, and you know that that stuff about Zeus and Aphrodite, it's myth. These guys, there's no Mount Olympus. They did, you know, thunder isn't because a couple of people are up in, you know, an imaginary sky bumping into each other. I mean, you know these things. Because again, you're, you're educated and, and you figured out that's, that stuff's not true. I know that's not true. And you start rubbing shoulders against these Jewish people. And these Jewish people are different than any of the other people you've met. One, because they're just oppressed out the wazoo. I mean, everybody's trying to step on them, squash them, you know, put them under their thumb. So they're oppressed, but they are just absolutely off the chart convinced that there is a God and that there's only one God and that he's revealed himself to people. And as you're interfacing with them over time, you, you know, you, you have the conversations that you do. You get to know them. And, and before too long, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, yeah, I think I buy into this. I thought, yeah, there's a God. That makes sense to me. And I could see how, you know, God would, you know, want to communicate with people. I could, you know, and, and so you're taking steps in, in what, you, what some people would call a faith journey. And somewhere along the way, you say to yourself, you know what? I want to become like a Jew. I want to become like these people. I mean, they're serious. They're devout. They really want to serve God. I want to be like that. I want to be a Jew. And you start talking to your buddies, and they're like, whoa, you know, you're goyim. I mean, it's possible, but you've got to go talk to the scribes about that. I mean, wait, you know, we're there for you, man. So you go, you go to the scribes. You go to the scribes, and, and they say, oh, you want to be a Jew? No problem. No problem. We want to talk about the most difficult thing that you'll have to do first. Ah, okay. I've now just discovered who grew up in Sunday school. All right? Uh, the first thing that you would have to do is you'd have to be um, circumcised at age 23 or whatever age you would be. Okay? Ouch. And, and if you could get over that, if you could get over that, there's a few more things. Secondly, you need to submit to the law of Moses. Well, you've been hearing about it, the Torah, the commands. You know, eh, you know, some of them are a little strange, but yeah, I, you know, 
You shouldn't be cheating on people. Yeah, you should, you should live a life of integrity. You should put God first. Yeah, bye-bye into that stuff. I could do that. Um, you need to do a big ceremonial meal. Oh, party? No problem. Okay, I, we can handle that. You need to uh, make a uh, sacrifice at the temple. Well, I know I can only go in so far, but yeah, I'll, I'll pay the thing. I'll exchange the money, buy the pigeon or whatever it is, and you know, sacrifice. Oh, one last thing. You'll have to do a ceremonial washing. And so for anybody that wanted to convert to Judaism and convert and become a Jew in the first century, a ceremonial washing was one of four or five things that they had to do. And you know the word they used for it? Baptizo. All right, so let's put that up on the screen way over there. Baptizo. All right, now you geeky Christians, just try and contain yourselves. All right? This is, in fact, a Greek word. Baptizo. I baptize. That's what that means right there. I baptize. And I don't know why they did this for the life of me. When they translated the Bible... They took this word and they just made it into an English word. Baptizo, baptize. They did the same thing with another word that messed me up when I was really young. Christ. Christ is the Greek word Christos. It actually has a meaning. It means anointed, the anointed one. So if they were going to translate it, every time you see Jesus Christ, it should say Jesus the anointed one. I grew up thinking that Jesus had three names. Jesus H. Christ. Don't ask me why I thought that. I just did. I heard it. <laughs> okay? Just like I had a beginning, middle, and end name, I thought he had three names too. Nope. You know, so, so baptize is a word that they just kind of made an English word. Well, let's get into the definition. If, if I had brought my Greek big bower lexicon, this is what it would say. Baptize, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash one's self. It was a common word at the time that had no real religious meaning or significance tied to it. But for Gentiles that wanted to become Jews, it was something that they would do, and you would baptize. But you would do it yourself. They would have these pools, and you would enter down into the pool from one side all by yourself. You'd wash, and you'd come up the other side, and you would have baptizo. And it would have been a ceremonial washing, a cleansing. All right? Uh, Here's... Uh, James Montgomery Boyce wrote this in 1989. I know. Some of you are like, whoa, you're really calling out the big guns. Yes, I am. Okay, so this is what he wrote about this word, baptizo. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 B.C. It's a recipe for making pickles. It's a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both words, bapto and baptizo. Nick Ender says that in order to make the pickle, the vegetable should be first dipped, bapto, into boiling water. And then, baptizo, baptized, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of the vegetable in a solution. The first one's temporary. 
The second one transforms the vegetable. All right. When used in the New Testament, this word often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism. Um, There must be a union with him, a real change, just like the vegetable to the pickle. So says James Montgomery Boyce in 1989. So you have this word and it it means to dip, to immerse, uh, to wash. All right. So if we were to take the most clear thing, uh, to baptize is to wash, which leads us to John the Baptist, right? How many of you thought that was his title, John the Baptist? Maybe he grew up Baptist. I don't know. It seems like they're everywhere, aren't they? Especially in the red states. But John the Baptist is really, next slide, John the Washer. John the Washer, all right? John the Baptist shows up on the scene in the first century, and he's by a river, and he starts doing this strange thing. Repent! Repent! God's coming! God's anointed one is coming! Make everything ready for him! I'm telling you, it's here! It's coming! It's almost here! And he was doing that thing by the river. John did something that had never been done before. That's recorded. John walked into the river... And people who, uh, people who had made a decision that what he was saying was true, what he was saying was dead on, people who had wanted to identify with John and his teaching walked out into the river where he was and he baptized them. He baptized them. Now, we didn't have video cameras, so did he just take water and do this? Did he go and then laugh while he was holding them under? I mean, what did he do? We don't know. But he baptizoed them, probably immersed them completely in the river. Anybody standing along the banks of the river would have recognized two things. One, this is new and different. I know, you know, I'm familiar with the Jewish way of doing things. You've got a pool, you go in by yourself, you wash, you come out by yourself. This other person baptizing you thing, that's different. But anybody along the banks of the river would have also concluded, and rightly so, that anyone being baptized was identifying with John and his teaching. Okay? So now, John's doing this, and of course the day comes, and the Gospels record it, when Jesus shows up along the banks of the river. And they do that famous interchange. Right? It's in the Bible. It's what your kids do. Or what some people do when they're deciding where to go for a restaurant. I want to be baptized by you. No, 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 Jesus. I should be baptized by you. No, I need to be baptized by you. No, really, I want to be baptized by you. And it's that interchange. Doubt me, go read the Bible. I'm telling you, there's good stuff in there. All right? So they do the interchange. And Jesus gets baptized by John. Because Jesus is a sinner? No. Because Jesus is wanting everybody along the riverbanks to know, ding, what John is saying, dead on. I agree and I subscribe and I identify with John and what he's saying about the kingdom of God coming and about God doing this thing. And it's here. All right. So, um, uh, Jesus' followers, later on, Jesus' followers start doing the very thing that John was doing. So, Within a matter of weeks, down the river from John the Baptist are now Jesus' disciples. And they're out in the middle of the river. 
And guess what? People are coming from the banks of the river into the river, and now Jesus' disciples are baptizoing them, baptizing them. And anybody who had come from the banks down into the river was saying, Hey, this Jesus, the rabbi person, yep, what he's teaching, what he's saying, I'm with him. It was a way to publicly identify with Jesus. All right? Now, in Acts, this becomes the norm for Christians. Anytime somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are baptizoed. And we see a wonderful case of this in Acts chapter 16. And that's where we're going to be today. And I'm just going to read through it for you. I don't, it's not even going to be on the screen. Acts chapter 16. And this is a, a part where um, Paul is in Philippi. All right? And this is what the text says. On a Sabbath, we, Paul and some other people, went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women. One of them was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with members of her household. And she asked us to be our guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay with me. And so we did. One day we were going down to the place of prayer and we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. This event went on day after day until Paul got so exacerbated that he turned and said to the demon, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. Paul had had it. I mean, you know, come on. You're, day after day, you're going out and this demon-possessed girl, This is the servants of the Most High God. Isn't it nice to know that even Paul had a line at which he was just done? So he turns, rebukes the demon, the demon leaves. Well, that creates a bit of a problem. Because now her masters don't have a way to make money because she can't tell fortunes anymore because the demon's gone. Oh, bummer. All right? And uh, so this is what the the city says. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews, they said. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob formed, verse 22, and the city officials ordered them stripped, beaten with robbed, and they were thrown into prison. Well, here's where it gets good. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that what you and I would do if we were in prison and chained in stocks? Some of us would probably have a hard time, right? But Paul, being Paul, and being full of the Spirit, was like, nope, God's got something in this. And sure enough, suddenly, verse 26, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the doors wide open, assumed everybody had escaped, so he grabbed his sword, and just like in that scene from The Princess Bride, was ready to end his life. (gasps) And only Paul says, wait, we're all still here. Well, this is what it says. The jailer called for the lights, ran, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sign me up for this Jesus thing. I'm in. 
They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And even at that night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Baptizo. Alright? This is a consistent thing in the book of Acts. You see this happening time and time again. Baptism is how people would physically and publicly identify with Jesus and his teaching. All right? And this common practice in the first century grew and became something really complicated. And then all of a sudden you start baptizing infants and you start baptizing, you know, and, and then you get people who come along and they say, well, if you're not baptized, you're not really saved. There are some people who say that. Um, and I'm here to tell you they're wrong. The Bible teaches what it means to be saved and how you're saved and how you're right with God. It's based exclusively on what Jesus did on our behalf, not on anything we do, including submitting to baptism. All right? So baptism then is for individuals who've made a decision to publicly identify with Jesus. That's what baptism is. And it's gotten so complicated, hasn't it? Because don't you know a chunk of people who really, they're not followers of Jesus. They don't probably, you know, they're, they may like God or they may not even like him at all. They don't have anything to do with them, but they're baptized. Ding, I got my certificate. What's up with that? I think because we've done so much baptism in America, we've kind of lost some of the saliency and meaning that's really behind it by being a way to go public with something that's happened on the inside. It's why at Generations Community Church, for example, that we don't baptize infants. From time to time we've been asked, hey, would you, and we say, no, we don't practice that here. We, you know, we respect other traditions that do, but we don't practice it here because we see it as something that is a faith thing. It's why when kids are getting baptized, we work with parents and we want to make sure, do the kids really understand what's going on? And so here's a real point of application. If you've got kids... And they're considering baptism. Moms, dads, talk this through with them. Uh, kids of any age understand authority and bosses. And a lot of times we, we overemphasize the whole Jesus part of saved. Jesus is your hero. He saved you from sin, saved you from death, and is going to give you a home forever. And we tend to underemphasize Jesus as master. But Jesus is not two people. He's one person. It's kind of like uh, if uh, you were, uh, it would be kind of like, guys, if a girl agreed, you proposed in marriage and she said yes, but then she said, now, we'll do the wedding ceremony, but we're never going to have sex and I'm not going to live with you. You would be thinking, wait a minute, this is marriage, isn't this is how, and so Jesus, I think, has, the Bible tells us, has the same mindset when people come to him, they, they, he wants them to accept him not just as savior, but as their boss, as their master. And so kids have a real deal understanding of that. Because if you're a kid, like my scout leader, my teacher, my parents, my older brother, really everyone is my boss. They get this at a very fundamental level. So you talk about the fact that now are you willing for Jesus, for God to be your boss? Yeah, <laughs> okay, because they know what that means. Kids know what that means. Okay, so parents, it's a great way uh, to go about it with your kids. Now, 
If you've never been baptized, I challenge you today, ante up this year, ante up this summer, and go public. Go into the river, so to speak, and be baptized. And let everyone know that, hey, there's something that's gone on in here, and I'm hanging my hat. I'm with Jesus. I want to publicly state that I'm with Jesus, what he teaches, I'm his follower. Boom. I've put my faith, my confidence in him. And uh, there's nothing magical, so to speak, about baptism. It's simply an act of obedience, if you think about it. Jesus commanded it, and uh, we just do it because he told us to do it. Um, For some of you that grew up and you don't have any church background at all, I want to acknowledge that it does seem kind of weird, right? If you've ever been to a baptism thing and you don't have any church background, you're like, okay, so the pastors get into a swimming pool fully clothed, and other people get in, and then they dunk them, and they come back up. Right, okay. Could you guys, like, have kept that a first century ritual? You know, because really, where else does that happen? Nowhere, okay? But it is something that Jesus commanded. And because he commanded it, we do it. And, and the, the real meat and beef about it for most of us when it comes to baptism, if we've put our faith and confidence in him, is really, are we going to obey and be baptized? And so, there you go. There's some practical things and a practical teaching on baptism. Now, if you've got any questions or if this stirred some wheels going on in your, in your mind and you want to, you call me this week, email me, send me a Facebook message, send up a flare, anything. I would be happy to have, treat you to coffee and talk about all kinds of anything related to baptism because I want to blow away the fog. So, are we clear? Here's this simple thing, this simple thing in the first century that became special and unique because of John the Baptist and Jesus and his disciples. And 2,000 years later, we and every other branch of Christianity practice this sacrament and we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and we do that until Jesus comes back to claim his kingdom in its fullness.